Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Isabel Mills, Customer Delight Director at Bloom and Wild. Isabel, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So you're here today to talk about how Bloom and Wild are identifying and nurturing their biggest fans to drive incremental and profitable growth for the business. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Uh, yes. Hi. Nice to meet you all. Um, my name's Isabel. Um, as we said, I'm the yeah, director of customer delight at Bloom and Wild. Um, so in my role, I look after our customer delight team. Um, we're kind of working across like multiple brands and multiple markets. Um, yeah, like just obsessed with all things customer and all things Bloom and Wild. Well, you've definitely come to the right place then in the right podcast. Um, I love the fact that you've got a team that's called Customer Delight as well. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, definitely. It's one of my best things Like, really allows us to to delight our customers and have that kind of autonomy and freedom to, yeah, it says it in the name, it allows us to do what we want to do. Absolutely. Um, now, as tradition on the show, to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where, as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and what kind of impact that had on you as a consumer. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of, I have a specific example as well, but one of the places I see it most commonly and mo- and done um, really well um, is on, um, I'll use like Etsy as an example, um lots and lots of really small businesses people i guess some people working out of their kitchen some with bigger scales um but some really like small but passionate sellers um and i think they really demonstrate their customer love in the little treats that go in the boxes i've had little sweets that have been delivered i've had personalized notes from people just to say you know thank you this has really made my day um and i always get really good quick service from anybody I've spoken to, whether there's something that has gone wrong or I've made a mistake more often. Um, Yeah, and I I think they're such a good example and a really good reminder. We talk about it a lot in my team, that reminder of for that seller, you are the, you know, you are what's bringing in their money. That relationship they have between you is so important and it's what's paying their mortgage. Um, And a real reminder that whatever size of company you work for, that's how you should be treating your customers. They are like the be all and end all and what's giving you uh yeah, what's giving you a job and giving you a purpose in what you're doing. Absolutely. And it's funny, isn't it? It's the um sometimes it's the small things that can really make a difference. There's a brand that I order from on a regular basis, um, and they always send a little bag of Harry Bows with every delivery. And it's just something that I always remember and I tell people about as well. Um, and I can't imagine it costs them that much to do, but it's it's funny, in the back of my mind it does prompt me to go back I think almost without realizing it if I'm kind of looking at two similar products on two similar websites that could be something that kind of tips me over to to kind of get my little bag of Haribo so um, I agree those little touches do make a big difference and it's what it it says if you really dig down into it you know it's like hey Simeon we really care about making your day not just by what we've sent because we're confident our product is great 
but we just want to give you a little treat. Like all of that kind of wrapped up in a tiny bag of Haribo and that like feeling it gives you is so important. It's probably that and the fact I have a very big sweet tooth as well and they've probably <laughs> identified that. So uh, both those things together are a winning formula for me anyway. Um, excellent. Okay, so um, to get things kicked off, I'd love if you could give a brief overview of your team structure at Bloom and Wild and where customer experience sits within the wider company. Yep, definitely. So um, in terms of my team, we have um, said a kind of multi-brand, multi-country um, team. So we've got teams that are based in the UK and Germany and the Netherlands, all a mixture of in the Amsterdam office, the London office, lots of people remote. Um, and then we also have three um, outsourced agencies as well to help us you know, get back to all of our customers. Um, so we're quite spread out um, and we've got a, a good joint strong management team and then yeah, a whole mixture of people working um, under us. In terms of um, where the CD team sits, so we um, sit in operations um, and I think that's really important. We report into the COO, are you know, able to then find out exactly what's going on be a core part of the company operations um cx more generally within bloom and wild is something that everybody is very passionate about um so we, we don't have one or two kind of people who are responsible for cx um everybody is it's a company philosophy it's a company obsession and therefore every team is always thinking about how can we make this customer experience better um which definitely makes my job easier and, and my team's job easier because we know that um, you know feedback that we're giving from customers, everything that's happening is it's being obsessed over in every team. I think that's such a crucial point as well. I think to be a truly customer-centric business, it needs to flow through the entire organisation. Yes, you will have customer experience teams, but it really needs to be coming from the top down and, and kind of touching the whole company. So the fact that Bloom Wild is set up like that, I think is amazing. Um I'd be interested to know, so you're, you're saying that you're reporting into the COO at the moment. Has that always been the case or have you kind of reported into into different teams previously? No, it has, has always been the case um, for the eight years that I've been there um, mm -hmm. and a few years before. At, at the very start, um, Aaron, our co-founder and CEO, was the customer delight team. Um, and I think that's where, um, I guess, like lots of businesses, when they start and you, you don't have any employees, he was answering all of the emails and all of the phone calls. Um, but that those beginnings and that kind of ethos is definitely what's allowed us to grow with that kind of mentality across the whole company. So um, one of my absolute favourite things about Bloom and Wild is that um, what well, we have lots of busy peaks. So Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, as you can imagine, very busy in the flower and gifting world. Um, but Aaron, all of the C-suite, the SLT, the exec and everybody is roped into answering our customers on Zendesk, giving my team a hand um, which is, is brilliant for us because obviously when it's really busy, that's really helpful, but incredibly valuable and vital for everybody in the business to really see firsthand and speak to customers who, if you're a developer, how great to talk to a customer who is using your website that you built potentially, not very often, but potentially struggling with it. If you're in the uh, flowers team, how brilliant to actually talk to somebody about a problem they've had and yeah, get that real experience of actually how your work is affecting customers. I love that and giving everyone the opportunity to really walk in their customer's shoes as well and really kind of feel what it's like to be a customer of Bloom Wild. I think that's yes, brilliant. Exactly. Fabulous. Um, I'd love to shift gears a little bit um, and talk to you about um, some of the kind of the challenges that you see within customer experience and customer experience teams kind of more broadly today. Where do you feel the kind of real 
pain points and challenges are for customer experience at the moment? Definitely. Um, I think probably one of the biggest ones, um, definitely that I have noticed and like from speaking to other people, is around changing customer expectations. Um, and I think this is a kind of ongoing, this will never end because every time you rise to meet some expectations, that becomes the norm and, and expectations grow, not just with customers, but in everything. Um, but I think in particular, the pandemic, like it has changed a lot of things, has really changed that expectation from customers that you will always be there to give them a personalized service on their channel of choice that everything behind the scenes talks to each other. So I shouldn't need to wait for lots of different, you know, jump through lots of hoops. You should know exactly who I am and you should be able to serve me. Um, and actually you should know my problem before I even know it. Um, and I think that's something that we're really excited about doing and we try and do really well, that kind of like proactive service, but it's it's also a challenge that like you, you cannot know every problem before it happens. Um, and I think, yeah, that's something where technology, like the use of technology is allowing, um, us and other people to try and rise to that but that yeah as I touched on that kind of never-ending cycle of as soon as you okay this is a customer expectation I have achieved it that becomes the norm and the expectations are even higher going forward that's interesting so it's it's kind of I guess consumers feeling like they should be getting the same experience online as they are in store in terms of that sort of like real personal touch yeah, yeah absolutely and I think really chasing that feeling of this was amazing um, you know, we definitely see that people people go to places that have great customer experience, great customer service. They get that buzz of this was a great customer experience. Um, and then they're still looking for that buzz. But what you've given them becomes the norm. Probably in a year's time, that bag of Haribo that you get will be lovely. But actually, like you'll be looking for something else or two or, you know, that becomes ordinary. And then you need to raise the bar again. Um so I think that's a really exciting challenge for the industry, but I like see that definitely as a as a challenge. Yeah, we're, we're going to move on to talk about brand advocacy and brand fans in a moment. Um, but I think that touches on a really important point that once you delight your customers, turn them into advocates, turn them into fans, that's not the end game. You're, you're sort of it's a, it's a constant journey, isn't it, as a business, I guess, Um yeah they're not just fans and then that'll be it for the rest of their kind of lives with you you're just you're constantly having to as you said raise the bar and, and keep delivering those great experiences to maintain that advocacy definitely and I think that's where um like I, I love the term fan I think you absolutely want brand fans but brand fans are not the same as sports fans or something where you might decide to be a fan of Manchester United when you're five years old and you'll be a fan for life through thick and thin um, actually as a brand you need to earn that fandom you know constantly and all the time having a fan will allow you to fall short once um but people are not as forgiving as they are of um yeah suffering football teams for example I think that's a that's a really interesting point actually I haven't thought of it like that before um yeah totally agree with that um and so sort of going on to this this subject of brand advocates brand fans um in your opinion, in, in your opinion, from your experience, why do you think brands should be nurturing and activating their fans um, in as much or in, you know, maybe even more they do their bigger spenders, for example? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess because um, in lots of things, I mean, like lots of brands and lots of companies are talking about, say, making money, being profitable, talking about lifetime value. Um, 
And I think that the lifetime part of lifetime value is a really important bit there. Um, it obviously doesn't just work as binary as this, but you know, tenure is just as important as spend. Um, and it's tenure that your brand fans will give you. They will remain loyal to you if you treat them well. And actually, a, I know, a £25 bunch of flowers once a month can be more valuable than a hundred pound. Well, it's not very good maths, but you know, hundred pound bunch of flowers once every two years, for example. So it's um, yeah, I think it's important to nurture them because that's what gives you um that repeat order, um, repeat orders. Um, I guess in in general, it's um, it's kind of going full circle right back to kind of old school word of mouth marketing and advertising. It's much cheaper to um, to have people recommend that it's much cheaper to have people recommend you to their friends than to have to tempt people in with discounts um and that develops bigger brand advocacy i think because um i mean every brand wants you to buy from them but my um sister doesn't mind who i buy from so the fact that she's happy to refer a brand to me and to tell me and to be an advocate for them means a lot more to me than a discount I would get. You know, it's that real, um, yeah, I guess that that opportunity to have somebody, something trusted. Um, and I think the same thing comes down to, um, you know, nurturing your reviews, for example. People are really interested to find out what, what are real people saying about this. Um, and I think that's an, another area, let's say, where, where technology, especially in kind of an e-com company like ours, has really allowed people to get that. You can look at reviews. You can go on Instagram and look at tagged pictures. You can see the gifts and the flowers in actual people's homes and see what they look like. I do that all the time with clothes. Like I'm actually much better off looking. I don't want to look at a model online because of course she's going to be made up and look beautiful. I want to see a real person who's wearing it to the pub and exactly how they look and how it washes and all things like that. I think those are the like little ways. Um, and I'm, I'm not talking about influencers. I'm talking about kind of actual people. Um, you're not going to tag a brand on your social media. You're not going to leave a review and talk about them unless you are an advocate for them. Um, and I think nurturing all of those as a huge community of big fans is what gives people the confidence and the trust to come back and yeah, and to spend their money on your product. Yeah, and you used a, a really important word there, I think, which is trust. It's it's when you become that advocate, you've built that that trust with the with the brand and. Um, Going back to your point earlier, yes, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll maintain that trust regardless of what the brand does. But the point is you've sort of you've built that initially, then it's obviously up to you to kind of continue to foster that relationship so that the trust maintains there. Um, I'd like to explore in a little bit more detail. uh, Well, a couple of things, actually. Firstly, um, Bloom and Wild's approach to your brand fans, you know, how you treat them, uh, maybe some examples of how you engage with them what kind of impact that's that's had on Blooming Wild. Um, and I suppose just leading on from that, you touched on there about um, um, repeat rates with, with your customers. I'd love to sort of hear maybe some of the other KPIs that you associate with, with campaigns in general, um, but where your advocates particularly support and help you um, to, to reach those goals. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think... In terms of some of the ways that we engage with our fans, we have some more, I won't say obvious, but because some more like traditional ways, we have um, our kind of, you know, personalised emails and just different offers and levels and communications that we have, depending on the loyalty of customer we have. 
We have a Facebook community for some of our really active and engaged fans that allows people to have a bit more of a conversation um, around what's going on. We can try out some products on them, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think some of the ways that we both engage with and try and, I guess, connect with our fans are around some of our more, like I say, one of the things that I'm like really most proud of from Bloom and Wild um, that we that we do as a brand are our, what we call like proactive resend. So if your flowers are not going to arrive for Valentine's Day and I can see through, you know, the Royal Mail tracking link that it's not going to arrive, we'll send you a brand new replacement out by a different courier and just let you know, like, hey, Simeon, it wasn't going to arrive for Valentine's Day tomorrow. Don't worry, we're on it. I've sent you a replacement. Um, now, we do that for all customers. We don't pick and choose who are our most loyal fans uh, before we do that. But I think those are the things that really, um, they they create fans, create that trust, um, similar to our, um, like, leading on the thoughtful marketing movement. So we um we're the first brand to offer the option to opt out of Mother's Day emails and we've done the same for Valentine's Day and Father's Day, you know, some of those sensitive occasions. Um, through things like that, we have fans of our brand that have never ordered from us before, but know that we're there and that we're an incredible, thoughtful uh, company and that when they do have occasion to send a gift next, hopefully we'll be using us. Um, but I think those are some of the ways that we, and we talk about that a lot, we want people to know um that A, people are really important to us and there are ways to engage with them. But B, you know, we are here as a real and personal brand um, who, if we're being thoughtful on that side, like just think about what we're doing on the inside, behind the scenes to make your whole experience smooth and thoughtful. You had a second question in that, sorry, and I've forgotten already. <laughs> I did, no, but they, firstly, I think they're fabulous examples. I really do like... Um the the idea of giving people to opt out around sensitive holidays i think that is such a nice touch actually um so yeah really really inspirational um my my follow-up question was around measures of success so you mentioned before about repeat rates i was just interested to hear maybe some of the other metrics you you kind of generally are are tasked on and how nurturing your brand fans is helping you to achieve some of those yeah definitely so i think um repeat rate as a high one looking at um lifetime value um we really at every team and at every level every team and every level obsess over mps um it's obviously the like classic question of would you recommend us kind of indicates whether or not you are a fan um and i think some of the ways we like engage with those um is also by trying to tie those together. So, you know, can we link the CSAT question from following up from an interaction with the customer delight team with your repeat rate or or your spend or your repeat orders? Do they link with NPS? Because that allows you then to be confident that obsessing over NPS is not just the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do for your customers and to make sure they have a good experience, but is also the right thing to do for your business and for being profitable and all of the uh, really important things like that. Um, so I think using lots of the data that we have and trying to get them to talk to each other um, so that we're confident that actually we have a few key metrics, but they all have levers and pull off different things. So we don't always um, need to measure repeat rate as an outcome of something if we're very confident that it's going to improve NPS and it does. We're then confident that that yeah, links into other things. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, Isabel, we've covered some amazing ground today. Just in closing, I think um, what's been very apparent throughout this episode is that you are, you're fortunate to work in a business where 
customer love is really ingrained at the heart of the organization. Um, would you have any advice for people that are listening that might not necessarily be in organizations that are thinking quite the same way and they want to demonstrate the power of customer advocacy and why their business should prioritize it more, um, particularly if they're in businesses where the, I suppose, the status quo is still short-term revenue gains, bringing in new customers and focusing on that rather than trying to retain and delight your current customers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... Well, I've touched on it earlier. I'm very passionate about it. But I think speaking to your customers directly, um, spend some time actually engaging with them. Um, again, try and get the the more senior people you can, you know, try and do that for an hour, the better. Um, you know, get the C-suite involved, get people who are like, you know, key stakeholders in. Um, because with very little effort from you, the customers will tell you, like customers tell us all the time, they want to tell you they've recommended you to so-and-so and and that their friend they heard about you from this person and it's actually a really inspirational reminder that um obviously you can't just rely on customer advocacy you're still going to need to do some marketing and some acquisition and things like that but it's yeah a really powerful reminder about how your customers feel about you translating directly into what they talk to other people about not put very well but um yeah I think that's the best way to see it is to to directly chat to the customers yeah who will tell you I think that's a fantastic example Isabel it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show thank you so much for joining us today no not at all thank you for having me you've been listening to the business of customer love podcast hosted by mention me Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.